welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. It is great to have you back. We have a great episode for you today. Before we get started, a little bit of housekeeping as usual. Number one, thank you so much for being here. If you're feeling inspired about the episode today, please make sure to share it with your friends and with your networks because that is how we reach more people. And of course, if you're feeling really inspired, make sure to leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast because that is one of the ways that enables me to get more amazing guests for you guys. Now, before we jump into the episode, I do want to talk to you about, this is a big topic on this podcast, is aging and what are one of the major contrib- factors contributing to advanced or fast aging is the presence of none other than senescent or zombie cells. These cells are old and worn out and yet they remain in the body even after they've served their purpose, which drains energy and our resources. And as we get older, those senescent cells tend to accumulate in our bodies, leading to decreased energy levels, reduced flexibility, slower recovery after workouts, and what is commonly referred to as that middle age feeling. And nobody needs that. So luckily over the past decade, researchers have identified plant-derived ingredients known as senolytics that can aid in the natural elimination of those senescent cells. And the product that I use and recommend to my clients, my friends, my family, anybody who listen to me is Qualia Senolytic. It works like a monthly cleanse specifically designed for this aging process. All you have to do is take six capsules a day for two days a month. So that's just two days a month and you will experience the benefits of its science-backed vegan ingredients that help your body naturally eliminate senescent cells. The results can be remarkable, making you feel up to a decade younger within just a few months. So to try Qualia Senolytic with a 100-day money-back guarantee, visit neurohacker.com forward slash Natalie. That's Natalie with an H. So that's N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E. And then by using code Natalie, N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E, you will receive a 15% discount off your first order. Okay, now let's talk about this episode. What happens to your hormones when you're constantly exposed to toxins? Want to take a wild guess? Yeah, nothing good. In this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast, I get to talk to Dr. Carrie Jones, who we've been kind of bumping into each other at events over the last year constantly. And every time we do, we kind of say, oh, I really want to talk to you. Oh, I want to record a podcast. I love that post you did on Instagram. Oh, I love yours. So we got a bit of a mutual admiration club going on. And I got to tell you, Carrie Jones, Dr. Carrie Jones is number one, an incredible educator. She's incredibly knowledgeable. She's a great clinician. And she's also hilarious. She's one of the funniest people I know. And so as a result, learning from Dr. Jones is just a gift. She's You never really feel like you're learning, except you're learning so much. Now, in this episode, we take a deep dive into the impact of chemicals and toxins on our health, as well as hormonal balance. We talk about scented hygiene products and plastic cups in a way that will make you rethink your daily habits. 
We then switch gears as we talk about the importance of liver health and supporting it can help your body detoxify your hormones even better. And we're going to talk about hormonal issues that arise at different ages and stages of life and some of the small lifestyle changes that you can do to improve your own health. Towards the end, we discuss the controversial Women's Health Initiative and its impact on hormone replacement therapy. And in this conversation, we clear up a lot of misconceptions about HRT. We provide clarity about potential risks and benefits, all the things. And then a little bit about Dr. Jones. I told you how great and amazing she is, but you might also want to know that she's a naturopathic physician who is board certified in naturopathic endocrinology with a master's degree in public health. She's had over 17 years in the field of functional and integrative medicine, and she's just amazing. And she's currently the the head of medical education at the Metabolic Mentor University, which is this incredible place where both physicians and different types of practitioners can get educated in all different topics in functional medicine. So if you're interested in that, I highly recommend you check it out. And to to find out information about that, and even just to learn more about Dr. Carrie Jones, uh, you can go to Instagram at dr.carriejones. And that's Carrie with a C, C-A-R-R-I-E. And you get to tap into her wisdom there. Okay. One last thing before we jump into this episode is I wanted to talk to you a little bit about quantum energy. Did you know that your quantum energy field is constantly being disrupted by toxicity and stress? And this is why I use Leela Quantum Tech Products. Stress is a known element in aging, and many people still struggle to manage it. So by levering Leela Quantum product, you can help yourself master stress and feel more at ease, ultimately contributing to a longer lifespan. Leela Q products have been studied with dark field microscopy, and these studies are incredible. I encourage you to go to the Leela Quantum site and check out these dark field microscopy studies. They are nothing short of draw-dropping. It's seeing those studies is what really, really, really got me interested in this stuff because it is remarkable. They demonstrate significant protective and improvement effects of the Leela Quantum block technology on the blood following only a five to 10 minute exposure. Actually, I think in the studies they did 10 minutes. So with over 15 studies done and counting, Leela Q's latest third-party study revealed a remarkable 20 to 29% increase in ATP production, a vital process for cells. Now, by harnessing quantum energy, you can give your body a boost and potentially slow down your own aging process. Now, you can upgrade your life with Leela Quantum's pure quantum energy by visiting leelaq.com, and that's leela is L-E-E-L-A-Q.com, and make sure to use code NATALIE10, N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E-10, to get 10% off your first Leela Quantum Tech order. Okay. Let's jump into this episode. It's a juicy one. Here we go. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Carrie Jones. I can say that it's been a couple of years that ever since the hat. The ovary hat. The the infamous hat. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. 
Oh my goodness. I am so glad to be on. I am so glad to finally do this because we met in December at A4M and I'm like, I need to be her friend. We are friends. And here we are. (laughs) Here we are. It took us a while, but here we are. So guys and ladies, today we're going to talk hormones because, you know, when we talk zone of genius, that is where this woman lives (laughs) when it comes to hormones. And so I struggled to hone in on that topic And obviously I want to talk about longevity and hormones, but I actually, you know, we were talking earlier and we always, we, we often get asked on podcast, what would you tell your younger self? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a menopausal woman, somebody just said to me, so what would you tell your younger self? And I'm like, prepare, prepare, (laughs) Um, get ready. Don't, don't think you're going to just, you know, which spawned the idea of what if we talked about some of a few of the top myths by decades and, you know, some of the pitfalls, if you happen to, I mean, most likely there aren't too many teenagers listening to this podcast, but if you have a teenager in your life or then as we move into 20s and 30s, the bottom line is it's never too soon to start. And I think mm-hmm. that we're in a world that is impacting our hormones, even if we do nothing. Right. Yeah. So and maybe you want to speak a little bit about this environment that we're currently all evolving in that's that's really pushing our biology beyond what we've evolved to deal with at this point. What's interesting is I actually got into, looking back, I got into women's health and hormones because I grew up in the South. I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. And our health class, sex ed class, whatever you want to call it, was taught by the football coach. So you can imagine how that went. And I know talking about hormones or your body can be really awkward with your teenager or even your pre-teenager. But having been in practice for a really long time, I would see teenagers. I had a lot of moms who said, she's 12, she's 13, she's 14. You know, can, can you come see her? I didn't do pediatrics. You had to be pretty close to starting your period or have started your period before you could come see me. And the definition of peds really is sort of that younger, haven't started your period yet. So I would have all these teenagers and social media was around, but I would develop a rapport with them and they would go, can I just ask you this weird question? Is it true that, or have you heard just these really cool teens who of all ages wanted to know more about their body, wanted to feel empowered. Now I realize that's not a lot, the majority maybe, but in my practice, that seemed to be who I attracted. And I thought, You know, I know it can be awkward as a mom or an aunt or a sister to talk to a teen about how their body is functioning, what's happening, what's normal versus common, and that common doesn't have to be normal, and what are things we can do to address that. If you can start that conversation little by little, as young as possible, I feel like a lot of us older women, mature women, grown adult women would have appreciated that. If we knew Mm -hmm. what to expect, what was normal versus common in our periods or our flow or fertility or anything hormonally related, gosh, we'd be so much better off versus being brushed off and told, oh, cramps, cramps, that's normal. normal." No, it's common. It's not normal. Oh, you're going through, you know, a super tampon every 30 minutes for a couple of days, super normal. No, common, not normal. And man, if you could just start talking to them little by little or sh- have them listen to this website or this podcast or point them in the direction of some, you know, good resources just so they understand 
I think it'd help as they get older to go, oh, I learned this in my teenage years. Yeah, 100%. So what are those things that, like you just mentioned a couple, like these are symptoms of upheaval, right? And obviously puberty is about upheaval. It's about the body coming to a new state of homeostasis. And before it gets there, there's a lot of heaves and hoes and ups and downs. <laughs> and, you know, we're not in this episode going to talk about the elephant in the room to me, which is that if pediatrics is premenstrual, then pediatrics is now going to be seven-year-olds because eight, yeah. nine, ten-year-olds are starting their cycles. So yeah, clearly there's something in the air, in the water, in the environment that's really having a yeah. massive impact. And so- Actually, as a, as a as a doctor in your space, do you see this 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 starting of the cycle so much earlier being an issue down the road? Like, is it? Yep. Did, oh, yes. And I would agree with you on you know the toxins, the chemicals, what have you. Because even in even adults, even adults will say to me, I'll see it in the comments in the DMs, my patients, they'll say to me. I switched from normal bleached scented, let's say tampons. I switched to hundred percent organic, all natural. And my cramps went down 50% or my bleeding was like so much better. Or my PMS and, uh, you know, like the whole time around my period got a significant percent better. I'm not saying it saved everything, but mm-hmm. the fact that they felt enough of a percent change to write me yeah. says something. And that's just not using bleached or scented personal, you know, hygiene stuff down there. I've had people say, I'm like, hey, look, just get rid of the candles. You know, all, all those candles that are beautiful and glass, you're going for that aesthetic. It's the holidays, whatever. You've got them all over, your plugins. Just get rid of those. And I've had people write me and go, oh, man, awkward. But I've really noticed that like my asthma is better. My skin is better. Even the dog is less itchy. You know, yeah. my, my headaches are gone. You know, I just... I just have people, they just report it themselves in the comments in the DMs. They're like, dang it, I followed what you said. And I'm noticing the significant improvement. And that's chemicals. And you and I were just talking about Dr. Felice Gersh uh, off camera, but Dr. Gersh and I were talking about all the research on plastics, especially BPA mm-hmm. and PCOS. And there is solid research on the dry, like dry, part of the driving moment, not, not the full driver, but part of it is on the plastics on the effect of these women who go on to develop PCOS or are born with, and then genetically these plastics are just wreaking havoc. And how many people live their life in and around plastic? I mean, it's a hard one. How do you avoid it? Like, how do you You even avoid plastic? You can't. It's, and, and even like, think of the, I think of the teens as I watch all the cute teens and they're, they're going around with all their, their scented lotion and their scented body sprays. And, um, they're, they're going to get coffee drinks because coffee drinks are cool. So they're drinking hot beverages out of plastic line cups with the lid on with way too much sugar, (laughs) (laughs) way too much food coloring. And I, my heart hurts. I'm like, Oh, you know, they don't, they don't know. And their families don't know. It's not something it's getting more awareness, but it's not aware enough. Yeah. Well, so what can people, so, so right there, there's an easy one. Get those reuse, get a reusable cup that's stainless steel on the inside, not plastic. And, you know, you can, I mean, teens are aware. They're aware, right? Environment and health. And by the way, Mm -hmm. nobody likes to feel like crap. 
So if you can help people to make these like little micro changes, then, and they can feel better and they have a better experience, life is good. So, so let's say in the teens, it's, you don't have to have horrible, debilitating curl up on your bed for three days cramps. You don't have to have flow that keeps you, you know, basically tethered to a box of tampons for however many days your face doesn't have to look like a nightmare. And part of the answer to that is reducing your exposure. I mean, and I mean, look, there's going to be a lot you can't reduce your exposure to, but there is the low hanging fruit, getting away from the scented products, the synthetic products, moving to a world where you have your stainless steel coffee mug. And you know what? The sugar is not great, but at the end of the day, if you have to have the sugar, at least don't get the microplastics with it. Um, and, (laughs) And we can have the sugar could be a different discussion, you know, but, but kind of starting to move into that space where that hormonal shift of the teenage years doesn't have to then evolve into hormonal chaos into our twenties, which is the next part of our discussion. And I, and I think what I want to say also is, and you, you're, you'll address this much better than I will, is that you're now setting the landscape for your fertility, which is ultimately going to set the landscape for your transition through menopause down the road. Right. Which right. will set the landscape for your longevity on the other side. And we're going to get there, folks. So we're just, we're just going to keep going in stages here. So we've managed, and you know, and maybe we want to talk a little bit about liver support, like should teenagers be using some kind of support for their liver to help their bodies to detoxify hormones and all this other stuff that they're coming across? It's actually not a bad idea in the world that we live in. And we know the chaos of puberty, um, even in the beginning stages, you know, as you said, it's just, it's kind of all over the place. So if we can support their detoxification pathways and some Sometimes, like you said, the low-hanging fruit, their adults are not taught proper nutrition, right? Mm -hmm. Cooking, people are doing fast food, they're doing food out of boxes, a lot of processed food, and I'm not vilifying that unless that's all you eat. If it's easier for you to run through fast food two to three times a day and live off of caffeine and energy drinks, it's no wonder part of the reason you probably don't feel that great is what you're filling your body with are devoid of nutrients. And we need nutrients to do things like detox in your liver. Like your liver depends on a lot of these magnesium, zinc, B vitamins, et cetera. The creation of your hormones, your hormone cycle, your mitochondria, your brain, like they all require these nutrients. And so if you're doing a pretty devoid choice at making devoid choices and then you pile chemicals on top of it because you can't give up your favorite body spray or perfume or the makeup that you're using um you know everything from what the house is cleaned with detergent Mm -hmm. that's all scented like spring flowers i'm not i don't judge anyone what i am saying is like this is we were taught this is okay and healthy and unfortunately we're getting the fallout of it it's not for a lot of people and they're showing up in my comments and dms going yeah once i made the change geez it was like night and day difference like yeah. that's pretty solid anecdotal evidence right there that you know we need to make a change 
A hundred percent. And so I'm going to give you guys a resource to just easily, because then we're going to move on to our twenties, the next decade, so that we can get through a few decades. There's a website called the EWG.org. Mm-hmm. It's this massive database that talks about, like they rank personal care products. They rank cleaning products. They rank, I mean, sunscreens, the whole nine yards. And so if you're kind of lost and you're like, you know, I, I, my, my, this bottle says that it's all natural or natural, whatever. And they've only used natural really as an adjective that doesn't mean much. You can look it up in this database and it'll rank it and it'll give you better alternatives. So, and it's free. I mean, they're going to ask you for donation. You could throw them a, little, a couple of bucks if you want or not, but they're they're doing a really incredible work. So just before we leave the teens, what would you say is easy and healthy liver support for a teenager that's not going to break the bank? Like, is it just maybe drinking more water or lemon water in the morning or do we Big go as fan. far as milk yeah. thistle or? Big yeah. fan. Even, even um, a quality multivitamin, you know, which I know multivitamins get poo-pooed and there's controversy and whatnot. I'm like, Hey, look, they're a teen. Yeah. And unless, your bases. They're, te- unless they're a teen in a house where this is how they grew up, I would imagine, you know, they're, they're not. And, or, you know, teens are out there making their own choices. Maybe when mm-hmm. they eat at home, they're eating pretty well. When, when they're left to their own accord out and about at friends' houses or after school or in school, probably not making the best choices. And so they are just covering their bases with a good quality multivitamin is not a bad idea. The other reason for the multivitamin, which we haven't gotten into, but I'm sure we will, especially as we get into 20s, is birth control pill. A lot of teens mm-hmm. and women in our 20s are put on the birth control pill as a panacea catch-all for any kind of hormonal issue we're having. And the birth control pill as a medication unto itself depletes a ton of nutrients. I mean, if you saw the list, it's almost an entire multivitamins worth. Yeah. So some of the pharmacists that I know and talk with are like, man, I wish whenever a birth control pill was prescribed, that part of the order said, and pick up a multivitamin because yes. it's going to only help the nutrients that you've lost. It's going to help replace those. And that could help some of the side effects that we know come with the birth control. And as I said, a lot of women are put on that. So Power help detox, help those nutrients if you're maybe not getting them through diet or even, you know, GI issues can start at a young age and then help if they're on the birth control. A hundred percent. No, and we could we could stay in the teens for a really long time. So <laughs> but let's, move let's move on. Let's get to the 20s because, you know, if they didn't get their PCOS diagnosis in their teens, yeah, it starts, I'm, what I see a lot of is in the 20s, if it didn't show up earlier, we're starting to see the anxiety, the depression, the PCOS diagnosis, the gut issues. And sometimes, like I just spoke to someone recently whose daughter had major gut issues, had Crohn's. They mm. had to fight tooth and nail to get it diagnosed. And what a shocker, a year later, she's now developing ADHD and, and OCD. Oh, yeah. Right. Nobody yeah. at any time has said to this family, there's been such a depletion and dis- like to your point about the multivitamin, there's been such a depletion of nutrients. Like this kid almost died of starvation because she wasn't absorbing anything. Yeah. Um, that, or I don't know, let's talk about the microbiome for a minute. Yeah. So, so, right. So the twenties we've now gone through university, which is all the bad habits, the, the sleeping, the drinking, the not sleeping, the drinking, the stress, the this and that what's defining the twenties and how can people maybe 
low hanging fruit. It's thank goodness. It's very similar to when you were in your teens, right? It's about, it's now you're in your twenties. You're a little more mature, hopefully maybe a little bit more educated and it's time to look around at your habits and say to yourself, is this working for me? Is this drinking working for me? Is this staying up super late working for me? Is this being on my phone all the time working for me? These relationships, the food choices that I'm making, my movement exercise choices or not. Some people aren't at all. Some people are overdoing it. You know, just really looking around and going, huh, I'm not a kid anymore. I am not a kid anymore. And whether or not you are planning to have children, it doesn't matter. It It's about your reproductive health is a part of you and it plays with every other system you have in your body, your heart, your brain, you know, nervous, skin, bones, immune, everything. And so if your reproductive system, your hormone system is not happy, like kind of ain't nothing else going to be happy either. And if you feel, wow, this really resonates with me. She's not kidding. I am tired and I am staying up really late and I am having anxiety or depression or, you know, I am noticing my ADHD is kind of out of control or I feel like I'm OCD, but I can't quite get a diagnosis yet. Or weight gain that doesn't seem to want to come off. Horrible periods to all, you know, periods my teens just really haven't really resolved. Skin kind of comes and go, you know, then you're an adult now. <laughs> Time to look around and let's see what we can fix, adjust, give up, change for that low hanging fruit. Yeah, no, I love that. And, you know, in a big part of that, again, clean up the environment, ewg.org. I'm going to say this again, because you may have grown up in a house where people, you, I mean, those, you noted, you mentioned the plugins before. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I finally think I got, I'm like, I, I don't know how many of those essential oil diffusers I bought for my mom to try and get her off the plugins. And finally now I think she doesn't use them anymore. Even if you grew up in a, in a home with where all this stuff was normal, which, Mm -hmm. you know, our parents do the best that they can with what they have. Mm-hmm. Um, taking the initiative to clean this up, and I love the point that you made about making taking care of your reproductive health, whether or not you want to have babies, is actually not the point. Yeah. I mean, definitely, if you want to have babies, you better be taking care of your, of that temple right yeah. now. Um, but even if you don't it is inherently linked to, and maybe we can talk a little bit about how the reproductive system affects immunity or bone health or, you know, your ability to have a healthy metabolism and manage your weight properly. Because if that centers out of whack, everything else is going with it. Like everything. I mean, in, and you will realize it. If you feel like it's okay, you can burn the candle at both ends through your twenties and thirties. And then you swoop into perimenopause and then menopause, you will realize that real quickly how much those hormones are tied into all of your other systems. I don't, we never get taught just as humans that the the immune system cells, almost all of our immune system cells have an estrogen receptor on them, which means our circulating estrogen, estradiol, which is our big potent one, plays a major role in our immune system. There are autoimmune diseases that are studied that some women feel better in their cycling years or close to their period. Other women feel better, depending on the autoimmune, away from their period mm-hmm. or when they hit menopause. Why? Because meta- estrogen plays such a big role, which is crazy for people to think about. Bone growth, strength, support, estrogen plays a big role. Obviously, other hormones do too, but the loss of estrogen, if you have amenorrhea, let's say you were heavy into sports, as a kid, you were a gymnast, you were a track runner, 
whatever it was. And because of the amount of exercise you did, you lost your period with amenorrhea. We know those kids are more prone to fractures, bone breaks, because they don't have their cycle. They don't have these, the up and down of their hormones. Well, now you get in a menopause and you lose that estrogen again, if you're not replacing it. And now osteopenia, osteoporosis, again, just brittle bones, feeling fragile, not as strong. It plays a big role there. Our brain, the amount of brain research, research that's going on right now, thank goodness, on women's brains as they transition into menopause and estrogen is fantastic. They yeah. really hasn't been studied. They studied brains of men quite a bit, but um, there's an amazing researcher, Lisa Mascani. There are a few female-led researchers out there, but Lisa Mascani has a book called The XX Brain and um, publishes posts on social media where she talks about you know, brain and the potential uh, relationship with estradiol. Our microbiome, I, the estradiol plays a massive role in our microbiome. When you transition into menopause and lose estrogen, estradiol, your entire microbiome changes for the worst. Mm-hmm. I don't know who designed it. I did not. I'd like a word with them. But like, <laughs> what? Are you yeah. kidding? Yeah, estradiol. Our, our risk as women for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease goes up exponentially when we go into menopause and lose estradiol. Now, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is also tied to other things, dietary habit, carbs, sugar, et cetera, glucose, insulin, but the loss of estradiol is one of the risk factors on its own. So just understanding this, and I know we're kind of like, we're in your twenties. Okay. Listen to this, right? Like, but you're laying the groundwork you're now. You're laying the groundwork now. I want you to have the strongest bones now. I want you to have a really healthy microbiome now. I want you to have really great habits. We're like 80 to 90% of the time. You're pretty good. Mm-hmm. Am I perfect? Are you like, absolutely not. No, but I, and I didn't, really start I in my 20s. I mean, it was probably more like my 30s before I was like, okay, hold on. Mm-hmm. Even as an naturopathic doctor going through natural, I mean, I did the best I could, but when you're in medical school, even though I learned, you know, like late nights, the food you eat, the lack of exercise, I mean, it takes its toll until I could figure out work-life balance. And so if you, but if you, somebody had taught this to me, if I'd heard this podcast in my 20s and family lived this life, my friends were, I'd be like, okay, all right this becomes my new normal and it's going to set me up for success in my thirties, forties, fifties. Yeah. And beyond a hundred percent. Okay. Thirties start, things start to get real in the thirties. I think yeah, because, oh my gosh, I mean, whether yes. you realize it or not, it's, I mean, I, to me, like thirties are like the peak, right? You kind of have your, hopefully you kind of got your act together. You're, mm-hmm. you know, you have more confidence. You have, you have a sense of direction, this, that, and you know, all the things and you're still, it's, as a matter of fact, I remember once seeing, have you ever gone to a card store and just read cards? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you look for the funny ones, but there was one, I think this may have been when I was having my nervous breakdown when I was 29 turning 30, which was 30 is the the old age of youth, but the youth of old age. Um, and I was like, oh my God, that is so true. Right. Um, yeah. But one thing I wanted to say is, you know, that word that you want to have with that person or entity that decided that we were going to use lose estrogen. Yes. I think the plan was never for us to live and kick ass into our 70s, 80s and 90s. That that I think is the fundamental core problem. Yeah. <laughs> is that was not the plan. The plan yeah, was you're done making like, babies. Yeah. The business right. plan, you know, when, when you for anyone who's written a business plan and they have they get out like 2 years, 3 years, 5 years and then you stop cuz you're like okay we'll, we'll we'll come up against that when we hit, get closer to 5 it's sort of similar like we get yeah. to our 30s maybe our 40s they kind of anticipated 
And then they were like, crap, we did not plan for that. They're going to live another 30, 40, 50 years. Oops. Oopsie. Who knew they'd need bones? Okay. So 30s. (laughs) So now if you're having babies, this is the time. This is the time. So hopefully you've done the work, but if you haven't, let's say somebody wakes up one day in their early thirties and they're like, holy crap, I didn't do the work. What do I do now? So what do they do, Carrie? They start today. They listen to this podcast. They take all the notes and they start today. Cause as we joke, the best time to start was when you're young 10 years ago. Um, and the second best time to start is today because our bodies are meant to be adaptable and resilient and assuming you're probably going to live a longer time than you anticipated. Um, why not start now? Why not start in your 30s knowing you may live? My family in particular lives until their late 80s and 90s. So mm-hmm. I would prefer to do that with a whole lot of zest and thriving and, you know, sass and mobile on my own two feet. And yeah. so I so in your 30s, this is the time to buckle down. But I understand that it's hard because in your 30s, when you're kind of at your pinnacle peak, we we you depending which route you are taking in life at the moment, it could be the child, it could be the having children route. So now you need to prepare your body, preconception work for both of you, the the egg and the sperm. However, that looks for you. It needs to be really quite healthy. It takes two to tango. Um, and then, and then preparing yourself for pregnancy and then, you know, raising newborns, toddlers, et cetera, in your thirties. If that's not the route for you, then it's possible. You're also getting into really getting into your career, whether it's your own business or whether you work for somebody, there is a chance by now in your thirties, you're working yourself up into bigger titles, bigger pay, more responsibility. And you also probably want to go do bigger adult things out in the world, whether it's what you're going to buy, how you're going to travel, who you're going to marry. So you're making these big decisions and it takes a lot out of you. Our resilience drops a little bit. We're not as, Mm -hmm. we can't go clubbing till four in the morning sleep an hour, wash our face and go to work. Not as easily. <laughs> look good, right? We're <laughs> good. We can't do that anymore. We did. We can't. Yeah. So in our thirties, it's, that's where we, that's where I want women, men too, but to really go, Hey, before you burn the candle, this entire, it both ends this entire decade, work-life balance, mm-hmm. heavy on the life, heavy on the life. Because when you get into your forties, fifties, and then beyond, because 40s, 50s for women are the transitional years for perimenopause and the menopause. If you haven't learned that, it's hard to learn that while going through reverse puberty. Mm-hmm. So 30s are your time to like, hey girl, get it together. <laughs> Lean in. Let's get as healthy as possible. Let's not burn the candle at both ends every night. Let's really dial in those habits every day or as many days as we can. Let's really lay that foundation start getting that blood work. Hey, you've never had blood work, start your thirties. Never had comprehensive testing, start your thirties. If you didn't do it in your twenties. Why? Because I kind of would like to know the pattern you're, you're taking. Don't wait until the car completely breaks before, you know, like this is why we take our cars in for maintenance, the oil change, the filter change, whatever it is. We don't want it to completely break. We're like, oh crap. I didn't even think about that. Sometimes it's really helpful to go, Hey, at your 30th birthday, gift yourself blood work or lab work. It's your 35th birthday. Gift yourself blood work or lab work. Yeah. Keep tabs on yourself. It's you. Yeah. Well, establish your baseline. I mean, you bring out, there's a couple of things I just wrote down here, which I think that now is a good time to talk. So one, the first one is in the teens, you talked about what's normal versus common. So in the thirties, 
What is what are women dealing with that's normal versus common? The same thing. And that's what kills me because depending on choices you make, where you are, sometimes children, sometimes women are like at horrible monstrosity periods in my teens and twenties, got pregnant, and since delivery of my children, my periods are so much better. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes the, the reports are, hey, ever since. Mm-hmm. Ever since I had my last child, things completely fell apart. So you can hormones can be affected at any age. I have 20-year-olds with hot flashes, just like I have 60-year-olds with hot flashes. Sadly, unfortunately, hormone issues can happen at any age. Now, I'm not saying menopause is happening in their 20s, but hot flashes, which are related to hormone stuff, can happen at any age, much like bone loss, much like brain issues, much like you know, mood swings, things like that. It can happen at any age. So in your 30s, though, you are often dealing with more grown-up. This is where all the joking memes come into play about adulting, right? Like the, mm-hmm. we get excited about new new brooms. We get excited to go to, you know, Costco. We get our Sam's, where, wherever you live, Kirkland's. We get excited for, you know, very responsible things. And then responsible things happen to our bodies. Our eyesight maybe starts to change. You know, the, we have to go in for more responsible um, uh, look, uh, doctor appointments, more serious things that we're like, oh man, whether it's GI related, whether it's breast related, whether it's uterus related, thyroid related. We hit our 30s. I hear that more and more from patients. In your 30s, you tend to also have a job and health insurance. And so you're more likely to be like, I am not in my 20s anymore. I have got to go get this checked out. And you do. You should go get that checked out. But it's the same complaints that can still happen in your 30s. Yeah. So the acne, which, you know, that's one of the big myths I find people get told, oh, yeah, acne is just like a teen thing. Not so much. If your liver's messed up, if your hormones are out of whack, guess what? You're going to get acne. It's going to come out in your skin. And I love the get your labs done. I mean, look, in ladies or and men, actually, if you have the wherewithal and the means in your 20s, start getting labs done then. Because mm-hmm. what you want to know is what's my baseline? Because we don't know what's normal for you until we know, until we have trends, right? Yeah. It's yeah. because, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit is, you know, the, the reference ranges in labs are not, they, you know, we want to think that they're normal, but we want to think that they're based on real data, real science. But as a doctor, maybe you can talk to people a little bit yeah. about what those are and the value of having years of data versus I feel like like crap, I'm going to go get my labs done. And now you have a doctor who's looking at this going, "Hmm, well, it looks like, but we don't know what you were before. Yes. And I've said that a lot over the, over the many years to people. So reference ranges, um, I tell people are generally either they're either gender or their age, uh, or I should say sex or age related, but they're not optimal. (laughs) They take a cohort of people Um, They hope that they're healthy. They aim for them to be healthy. They check out this marker. And now, of course, a lot of these markers over the years, they've, you know, millions of people have gone through. And so they can get an idea of what's going on with these reference ranges. But they're not exactly set most times for optimal. I'll give you an example. Um, I'll give you a generic example. Insulin, fasting insulin. Yeah, the reference range in the United States for fast insulin generally says less than 25. You want it less than 25. However, <laughs> in the functional medicine world, we often say we'd like it 
somewhere between the uh, numbers of two and five. Two and five, not 25, two, three, four, or five is very (laughs) far away from 25. The reason for that in functional medicine is that there's literature to support the higher your insulin gets, the more at risk you are from metabolic syndrome. We don't want metabolic syndrome. I do not want you to have heart disease, diabetes, any of that stuff. I want you to live and thrive for a very long time. So if their literature is saying, hey, look, as your insulin gets out of the single digits into the double digits, you're higher risk for metabolic syndrome. I'm going to keep you in the single digits, but really I'm going to keep you tight in in the single digits, somewhere two, three, four, or five. But people are going to their doctor, they're getting their blood drawn, their insulin is is, uh, 24, and they're like, you're in range. Yeah. Yeah. But their risk for metabolic syndrome, heart disease, diabetes, et cetera, has gone up exponentially and they're not doing anything about it until maybe it's too late. I don't want you to be too late. The same goes for men's testosterone ranges. We know the range of a man's testosterone, like in the 1950s, was higher than it is now because men had higher testosterone back then. So they do micro adjust the ranges through the decades to match the population as opposed to being like, wait a minute. It should be. We should probably, we should, yeah. Like why are people getting more and more unhealthy versus us micro micro adjusting to meet them? And so I think that's important for people to know. And hopefully a lot of people already know that Mm -hmm. because you go to your, you go to your doctor, you feel terrible. They draw your blood. They're told you're fine and you're not fine. And, and this happens a lot, especially in the hormone world where you say, I feel hormonal. I would like a full hormone panel. And they say, great. I'll run. And then they call you or, you know, you're, you go through your email portal and it's like, all your hormones are great or normal. See you in a year. But what's interesting to me is that my interpretation or what I would draw for a full hormone panel and what gets drawn are often very different. And so even then we're not educated on what type of blood work to ask for. What does it mean when you get a hormonal panel, even a a lipid panel or, Mm or I want my glucose tested, you know, i would like advanced glucose testing, which might include also that insulin, hemoglobin A1C, like some of these things, we, if you don't know, if you're not in the medical field, you're not at fault. Like, no, no. Like, so it's such a struggle because I look at lab work. They're like, well, I had full, I had full hormonal work done. I'm like, well, actually you, you had red and white blood cells, which is called a CBC. You had a metabolic panel, you had cholesterol run and that was it. <laughs> like they maybe a vitamin D thrown in there, maybe a TSH for thyroid. And you know, that's it. Yeah. That's what they ran on you. And I'm like, that's great. Hey folks, just a quick interruption because I just want to talk to you a little bit about now that you've added nitric oxide to your daily routine and are supporting healthy circulation. Now would be a perfect time to introduce some key brain ingredients to you. Berkeley Life's exciting new product that complements their nitric oxide foundation supplement called Cognitive Support. It's centered around naturally optimizing your cognitive health. This new supplement is designed to support key brain functions like processing speed, psychomotor speed, sustained attention, and even composite and verbal memory. 
And the best part is that it's a natural stimulant-free formula that's been thoroughly researched and backed by science. When you combine cognitive support with Berkeley Life's nitric oxide foundation, you are in for an incredible cognitive boost. The two of them work together seamlessly to deliver essential ingredients like alpina, galanga, sulforaphane, and lutein efficiently to the brain, enhancing cognitive performance to its full potential without concern of caffeine crash or jitters. You can access Berkeley Life by going to berkeleylife.com and using practitioner code NIDDBL to place your order today. Now let's get back into that episode. Is there a resource for people these days at this stage of the game? Because there's an increasing number of resources online. Is there a resource at this stage of the game that people can turn to to start to understand what is a full panel? Or is the answer really you need to find that practitioner who's going to walk with you and and yeah, the, help it's, to I, dig Honestly, in? I think it is. Yeah, you need to find that practitioner. And I say that mostly because of, you know, uh, being more personalized medicine and saving your budget. I would not necessarily run um some hormones depending i remember a lot of things are hormones i mean uh yeah that we were talking when you think hormones a lot of people just think oh estrogen testosterone progesterone there's a lot more out there actually so thyroid cortisol right (laughs) even even prolactin i mean there are a number and so if somebody comes to me and they have a very you know let's say thyroid heavy symptom picture you know obviously Mm -hmm. i would want the budget to go towards that as opposed to maybe running some of these other more nuancey hormones while might give us info is not like the first layer down. That's not what I'm going for. So I would hate to say, and I do see them out there. I see longevity clinics and biohacker clinics. Like here's my full list of everything I would run. And while I just, I I don't, uh, I, I, how do I phrase that? I don't disagree with them from a budgetary point of view. That's not going to work for a lot of people. And so I would rather, Hey, let's, what do you need as the first layer? And then let's go from there. Yeah, I think that's really smart. I mean, there's increasingly people are able to source their own panels. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, there's which so is, many online. Which is great. Base. Yeah. Yeah. But you yeah. need to know what you're looking at and what to do with it. And I mean, I would say more so in the States than in Canada. Um mm-hmm. Canada, we still have to fight tooth and nail to get our vitamin D3. <laughs> yeah, well, some some places here too, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I've had doctors yeah. say, no, you don't need to check your D3. I'm like, because why? <laughs> Give me one reason why not. Yeah. Or I go to the lab and I'm like, but I'll pay you. And they're like, no, it's not on the form. We're not testing it. So yeah. I'm like, anyway, so, yeah. okay. So, but while we're on the topic of hormones and this is in the 30s, this is the age where definitely... I, we see a lot of women and even men starting to look more deeply into the reproductive, let's say, hormones. Yes. Urine versus serum. This is like the big yes. fat bra. Versus saliva. <laughs> versus saliva. Yes. So yes. do you want to give us a little perspective on that? Because you've been in the trenches yes. in this space for a long time. And yeah. you're the person I've been wanting to ask this question. Because I've had, like, I've had practitioners poo-poo saliva they've poo-pooed urine i mean everybody agrees that blood is great but it's limited in certain ways so can you take us through that a little bit (laughs) Uh, sure so i mean when you think of testing the so urine testing and blood testing has been around forever right like even hippocrates i believe hippocrates could diagnose they didn't call it diabetes but they knew it was sugar urine right like when you somebody was in um advanced diabetes they're all that blood sugar spills over and shows up in the urine. It smells sweet, tastes sweet. So the idea of looking at urine has been around for a long time. However, blood is generally considered gold standard for most things. 
when we're talking about the reproductive hormones, you can go to a lab and get your main estrogen, which is called estradiol. You can get progesterone, you can get testosterone, and you can get a total testosterone, a free testosterone. You can get that little binding globulin called sex hormone binding globulin. You can get DHEA, there's thyroid, right? You can get all these things um, in, in your blood work. Where saliva came into play is that people were testing their cortisol in the blood work. And when you test cortisol, what they used to do is lump it all together. So if when cortisol, and no, all your hormones are like children. They can't be unattended at any time. Only a very small <laughs> percent are unattended. Those are called the free. So for everyone who's ever had total and free testosterone, now you know what we mean. Total is everything and free is the teeny tiny part that's available. Yeah. Cortisol is very similar, but they only ran a total cortisol. So if your cortisol level was 10, well, I don't know how much of that is bound up, unable to do a thing, and how much of that is free. If nine of them were free, very different than if one of them is free. So saliva came along because they were like, man, this is a giant pain in the booty to try to get free cortisol and get it through the day because they're trying to test circadian rhythm. So saliva could do your estrogens, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA, and lo and behold, at home could also test for cortisol, circadian rhythm. So then with urine testing, we have two types, 24-hour urine, which is where you collect your urine in one big bucket, so to speak, uh, for 24 hours, and then a sample of that is sent off to the lab. And so urine became popular because you could get the downstream metabolites. Right. Make a hormone, where does it go? And where does it go is called metabolomics. It's mm -hmm. the study of these tinier particles called metabolites. It's becoming much more recognizable in the literature. They're using the word metabolomics because science has realized these tinier particles are quite active. They do, they do things and we need to deal with them somehow and understand what they do. So urine could test these metabolites, but a big bucket of urine can't tell you what your cortisol did at night or in the morning, because it's all your it's all urine all day in one in one bucket. Right. So then along came spot urine, and for a lot of people, and where I used to work was dried urine. And so what they realized, if you peed on a on a like basically a piece of filter paper through the day, you could still get all the hormones, you could still get the metabolites, and because it was four or five times in the day, you could get the circadian rhythm. I could see your cortisol at those different times when you mailed it into the lab, and it was run on the instrument. So if you're looking for where does my hormone go, I mm -hmm. make testosterone, DHEA, where does it go? I make estrogen, where does it go? Urine is what you're looking for. Nice. If you're just looking for a screener, I carry, I just need to know my progesterone. Get a blood draw. <laughs> you know, if somebody's, if a man is on testosterone and he's like, I just, I just want to know my testosterone. I'm like, go get a blood draw. You're looking for screening. Go do that. Now, certain things should not be done in saliva or urine. You will not find thyroid, for example, in saliva. You shouldn't. It, that's blood. You, you are not going to find glucose, insulin. The, those things, gold standard is to do it in the blood. Prolactin, okay. gold standard is in the blood. But you do have options with um, saliva or urine. Now, some companies will combine saliva and urine because they want the metabolites of urine yeah. And then they want um, the uh, what's called a cortisol awakening response, Yeah, which is a rapid collection of cortisol in the morning. Um, and so you can't do that in urine. And so you, you can't kill you in saliva. Mm -hmm. And so some companies mirror, or combine the best of both worlds and then you can get that yeah. together. Yeah. 
I've done so that. So what's the best? I don't know. It depends what you're looking for. And that's what I tell. And I used to work for, you know, a big name company. And I'm like, I don't know what you're looking for. So I can't, yeah. I can't direct you. It's a perfect answer. I love that answer. <laughs> no, but, but you know what? It's about nuance, right? And it's not yeah. about this is bad or this is good. It's about, you know, I mean, people ask me these questions about peptides all the time. And I say that the dreaded two word answer is it depends. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, why do you think your finger's turning blue? Like, you know, I don't know if there's a peptide for that. It depends. <laughs> it depends. You mean um, there's not one peptide to rule them all? Gosh. Well, I mean, you know, they're close, but not really. Um, okay. So, so I love, you know, thank you for, for saying that. And so for the urine testing, the dried urine testing, which is really mm-hmm. where we're looking at the downstream metabolites of hormones, mm-hmm. which starts to become, again, like, it's probably a good idea to get it done at some point, but then how yeah. often does it really need to be done? Because first of all, it's expensive, right? Yeah. yeah. And would you start doing that kind of test? I mean, again, if you had massive imbalances in your twenties, you might do yes. it then, but yes. let's say yeah. you're in your thirties and you've made it this far. Is there an argument that says it's a good idea to get a baseline at this age and then maybe not repeat it again until there's trouble or might you do it once a year or once every couple of years? Is there is there kind of a guideline there or does it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, well, okay, there's my guideline. There's no law, no. but like, well, this is what I do. Okay. Yes, if you are in, I mean, we had teen- we've had teenagers who run the test because of such severe hormonal whatever, um, same, same for 20-year-olds. But if you hit your 30s and if you're sailing through your 20s, cruising, doing great, hit your 30s, my suggestion, honestly, is to at least do it once. Again, I want a baseline and I want to see where your hormones go because some of those metabolites, those downstream hormones, because they're estrogen related and I'm trying to mitigate any kind of risk, you know, there's estrogen related naughty things out there like cancers. Um, and as you hit into your 40s, sometimes it's helpful for me to know where were you mm-hmm. and what are we working with now? And so at the very least, if you could gift it to yourself on your 35th birthday once, that would be really nice to know. And it honestly could help set you up for success, longevity in the future. Now, understanding those metabolites is not the only part of cancer, like breast cancer. And I do want to be very clear, we cannot pin breast cancer on estradiol. You cannot single-handedly say, one hormone is the single cause of breast cancer. We know cancer nope. is complicated and multifaceted, and mm-hmm. we have all those chemicals out there. However, when estrogen is headed down the wrong pathways, research is showing us it can increase the risk for damage to our DNA, which we don't like. We don't want that. If I can show you that in your 30s, because think of a bucket. In, in, your, in your 20s, hopefully your bucket's not full of water because you're young. You've got age on your side. You hit your 30s, more crap piles up into your bucket. You hit your forties, oh, more crap piles up into that bucket. And then, right. And then, right. And then you get your fifties and like, now your poor bucket's overflowing or maybe it overflowed in your forties. So yeah. if I could like prevent that, mm-hmm. if I could ease some of that, that, um, pathway pressure of where your hormones are going in your thirties before it gets completely squashed in your forties and fifties, I would prefer that. However, as I said, I do have people and their teens, twenties, all ages. I, I've even when I worked at the at the Dutch test, we had people um, in their eighties, yeah, who were doing it for often hormonal reasons or fatigue or insomnia or anxiety, and they were like, and 
I mean, I'm all about it. They were like, enough is enough. I don't want to be 80 with anxiety or I don't want to be 80 with insomnia or I don't want to be 80 with low libido, which were always uh, the cases. But you know what's crazy about that? And we're going to jump over a few decades. What I see happening in the medical system is by the time, and frankly, it's long before the 80s, like in the 70s and the 80s, men and women are not being looked at as people anymore. They're yeah. being looked at as declining humans and nobody's looking to optimize their hormones. And nobody back to common versus normal. Yes. Right? Yes. Oh, your balance is off. You're getting more depressed. You're fatigued. You need a nap in the afternoon. Yeah, no. you're in your 70s. No, no. Like, do, exactly. Do the statistics on people as they get older and the decline of things like vitamin B12, D, vitamin D, why are we not testing for these things that's clearly in literature state? Hey, as we get older, we lose this, we lose this ability. We lose our ability to make melatonin as we hit our 50s. Mm-hmm. Melatonin is... I would argue, our most potent antioxidant. It's my favorite antioxidant. More so than glutathione, you can fight me. <laughs> but we lose the ability with, with melatonin to make melatonin is once we hit our 50s. And if you lose that, like your one shining night, I mean, I know we have other antioxidants, but like imagine losing a huge part of your immune system, your antioxidant system, your circadian rhythm hormone. No wonder. Yeah. No wonder, you know, you're going to feel some of these symptoms. So even just a tester to go, oh, you're in your seventies. Has anyone talked to you about melatonin? At this point, you probably don't make any, like, let's try it. Mm-hmm. Oh geez. You're having, you're having fatigue and you know, you're having some balance issues. Has anyone checked your B12? Yeah. Let's check your B12. Like how easy is that? Depression? Yeah. Let's check your vitamin D. It's been a while since you've been outside. You're kind of homebody now. Oh yeah. geez. It's really low. Let's get you on some vitamin D. Mind blowing, right? And B twelve, yeah, yeah, oh no, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. So our, our, okay. So let's plop back into the thirties, and really by the end of the thirties, a lot of women are starting to see shifts in their hormones. Yeah, a lot of women are mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, and then things are starting yes. to to change, and if they're paying any attention, they're starting to notice it. And yes. I don't like, do we say the perimenopause word yet? And cause I you remember, I remember can, in yeah. my, I think early forties saying to my doctor, I don't understand, you know, like I'll suddenly have all these crazy cramps and used to yeah. be able to set a clock by my period. And she smiled and she said, Oh, well, welcome to perimenopause. Enjoy yeah. the ride. And I was waiting for the, and here's what you're going to, and there was nothing. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. That's Who all you got. <laughs> I know. Yes. Can we fix this? <laughs> can start in our late thirties. So what, so there's no test for perimenopause. It's symptom-based, but basically it's, as we get into our late thirties, um, into our forties and for some our fifties, there are women who don't go into menopause until their fifties, which is mm-hmm. great for them. Um, we, the brain to ovary communication is not as great as it used to be. And we're losing lots and lots and lots of follicles every month. And we have been since we went through puberty and started our period. And so eventually those follicles, you know, age, they kind of age. They're not as great. They're not as healthy as they used to be. They don't have as many as you used to. So now you aren't going to produce hormones as great as you used to, where those follicles are like, they've got rusty old communication systems. They're the communication system it was born with. You were born with. So they're not getting the signal like they should. And oh, by the way, you're not ovulating like you should. So you start to lose progesterone, your estrogens can 
be haywire. I mean, the graph, when you look at a perimenopause graph, it's kind of funny because it should follow a very, your hormone should follow a very set roller coaster every month. Your estradiol and progesterone should be on this roller coaster track month after month after month from the day you start your period, ideally. And then you hit perimenopause <laughs> and the track goes to hell. Progesterone usually declines and estrogens all over the board because those cells are responding sometimes, they're not responding other times. The brain is mad, so it keeps sending more signals and you feel that. You're like, I skip periods. Then I got two in the same month. My periods went from normal to heavy as heck. My mm-hmm. moods went from pretty good to all of a sudden all that anxiety I had as a younger as a younger teenager is back. I feel more depressed. I'm angry and irritable all the time. And oh, by the way, my skin breaks out like I was in puberty and I've put on an extra 10 to 15 pounds in the middle, like an apple and nothing in my life has changed. I haven't changed my exercise, my diet, nothing. And I can't sleep. Yeah. I was waiting for the can't sleep part. Yeah. (laughs) And I can't sleep. When I was in my thirties, I would have patients in their forties who would say to me, Carrie, you just wait. You just wait. It was either on your 40th birthday or on your 45th birthday, you're not going to be able to sleep anymore. Just FYI. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to find the cure. <laughs> so, but there is a way to manage it. There, And I say all this and the punchline is there's a lot of hope. Yeah. And there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of ways to manage this, but I need women to understand when it hits them. Cause at first they're like, where is this coming from? It feels kind of out of left field. Uh, they don't understand. And then everything you're going into reverse puberty. So all the things, all the low hanging fruit you had to do in your teenage years that you kind of probably gave up through your twenties and thirties because life is busy. You maybe, or didn't have a family, a career you've been moving, you're dealing with sick family members. Maybe you yourself are sick. There's a lot going on. And then you hit perimenopause. So you have to go back to those basics and we really have to hone in on those hormones, estradiol mm-hmm. and progesterone here. Right. So this, and, and women, if you, if you drink alcohol, this is often when women go, I used to be able to drink wine and now I can't bring it back. And I'm like, the enzymes in your liver are changing because of perimenopause, this reverse puberty. This is not unexpected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And you're getting less insulin sensitive, which means you're more insulin resistant. And you might develop GI problems because the microbiome is mad that it's lost estradiol. And you may notice brain changes and you may notice hot flashes and night sweats. And you may notice vaginal dryness. Again, I don't know who thought of this. I am (laughs) ready to talk to them. However, everything I just said, brain, immune system, um, uh, vaginal health, microbiome, The great thing is there's so much support we can do. You've had so many experts on here who touch on those various pieces and parts. We just didn't necessarily need them in our twenties and thirties. And so now is when you, now is when you're like, damn, (laughs) to go back and binge list all her podcasts because now I need those things. I need those things. And so hormone support, because it's not full on hormone replacement, but hormone support can start as early as your yeah. late 30s, early 40s, yeah. in the event that things are really going haywire, right? Because yeah. I know yeah. I talk to a lot of women who are like, no, my doctor said no. And yeah. so- yeah. Oh yeah, and usually because they're thinking- Find a new doctor. Yes, <laughs> yes. 
A hundred, I agree hundred percent. Usually it's estradiol they're thinking of. They're like, you're too young for estrogen. You don't need estrogen. I'm like, well, what about progesterone? Let's do progesterone. What about DHEA? What about just a little bit of testosterone if you need it and it tests super low? You have other hormones. Let me look at your thyroid. I know your thyroid was normal a year ago, but now your, your perimenopausal symptoms are really pretty crazy. And thyroid tends to change in perimenopause and menopause. So let's look at this. A hundred percent. And pregnancy. Let's look at your adrenals. Let's look at your peptides. Let's get you on the, hey, Let's reduce yeah. all this inflammation that's happening. Let's repair your gut. Yeah. Let's support their brain. Yes. So I think, I mean... And and I want to continue a little bit longer on on the our decades here, but I do think that one of the big big messages of this episode is just because it's normal, don't don't take it right, yeah. or just because it's common or whatever it is, it's common. And even perimenopause is normal, right? The, it's it's yeah, it's nothing I can happen. do to stop it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, winter, it's, it's supposed to, yeah, but it's. And and I think we have this conversation. I mean, I've had this conversation with a number of people is I know you've been, I mean, and it's not that your doctor's bad. It's that they're not able to meet your needs and, and they you do not need to resources. suffer. Yeah. yeah. Or they, they haven't done that training or they don't, whatever the case may be. Like I never want to throw medical doctors under the bus because at the end of the day, the line, like for the most part, everybody's doing the best they can with what they've got. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, if you're feeling like a bag of broken toys and the person sitting across the desk from you has nothing yeah. and you need to find someone else because yeah. there are tools, there are things you can do, there are hormone things you can take. And you mentioned something earlier that we can't pin breast cancer on estrogen. And I, you know, I still have friends who you mentioned the word estrogen, they go screaming for the hills Yeah, um, that, you know, I'm going to get cancer. So can we just kind of like poke at that little bear for a minute? Yes. I'm yes, sitting there going, but you would have had cancer when you were 20. <laughs> right. right. Women's leaving. health initiative, the women's yeah. health initiative ruined it for everyone. Um, in the Women's Health Initiative, they looked at estradiol and they looked uh, ethanol estradiol and they looked at a progestin. Mm -hmm. And essentially what came out of that was when you take that combination, um, they said the risk for breast cancer went up so statistically that they put it in the papers, they put it in the news, all women across the world stopped all HRT. Now in, I don't know, in, in their defense, I don't know to be honest, back then I didn't, compounding pharmacies had made a name for themselves, you know, the bioidentical progesterone, other hormones, they weren't really doing their thing. Like all we had was Prempro was what we had back yeah. then, Premarin yeah. and, and Provera. And so, but once we dug into the WHI and realized all oh, the massive amount of mistakes that were made and issues that came out of it, the misinterpretation of um, some of those statistics that when they went back uh, and re-looked at it, and then republished or re reset what they should have said, it didn't make the news. It didn't make it into the pharmacy printout yeah. sheet. It didn't make it anywhere. So you had to really be diligent as a practitioner through these many years of following the literature on it. In fact, in May of 2023, there there's now an article out uh, that came out. In fact, I think I have it. Hold on. We're, I'm going to read the article because I'm like, yes, please, thank you. It says reappraising 21 years of the WHI study, putting the findings in context for clinical practice. And um, um, so I, again, I'm not saying that estrogen has zero risk. That's not what I'm saying. But no. what I am saying is that 
the panic and the many lives that were probably ruined by stopping mm. everybody's HRT suddenly was not called for, was yeah. not called for. And when you hear the history of how the authors were forced or coerced into signing the study or signing off on the study, it, it's it's awful. It's terrible that I can't believe it. I mean, I can, but also I can't. So when somebody says estrogen to me, I'm like, look, cancer is way bigger than just estrogen. It's mm-hmm. way bigger. It's you've got a whole amount of tissue in that breast. It's a whole soupy environment of stuff, lots of stuff. And your estrogen or estrogen metabolites are just one piece of a huge puzzle. So we can't let estrogen. And estradiol does a lot of good in the body, like a massive amount of good in the body. And therefore, if you are a good candidate, if you are working with a practitioner who does understand bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, if you are getting your lab follow-up or imaging follow-up, go for it. Yeah. Go for yeah. it. Is it ever too late to start? Ooh, that's a complicated. It, it gets, gets a complicated. Complex. It gets complicated. Yeah. Yes. It gets it's a complicated, complicated question. 10 years they, out of they say, right? yeah, they say after 10 years, you shouldn't. Um, I am not an Alzheimer's doctor by any stretch, but I have had some Dr. Dale Bredesen trained practitioners say that they will still put their Alzheimer's patients or um, dementia people they're working with on females on estradiol because they see a difference. They notice Mm -hmm. a difference and they surely are more than 10 years past menopause. And so I have had that feedback of, oh, great. You do have to be careful of some risks, such as your cardiovascular disease at that point. We need a much more advanced cardio panel. I'd want to make sure you don't have calcium, you know, in in the arteries and whatnot. Uh, Because I I wouldn't want the estradiol to make an advanced cardiovascular issue worse if you've gone on to develop that. Um, But on the flip side, when somebody says, when should I stop? I saw this hilarious TikTok the other day of a a doctor... uh, an MD who talks a lot about hormone replacement therapy. And the question was, when should you stop your, your estrogen? And she gets real close to the camera and she said, never, (laughs) never. You'll have to pry it out of my hand. And I was like, (laughs) yes. And that is also controversial. People feel you should only be on it for a certain number of years, but unfortunately we know when you stop it, you lose the benefits like it's all gone. you lose you, you lose to the two b's you lose yeah. bones and brains i yeah. mean what's the yeah. point <laughs> that's what i can't figure out that the recommendation is only to do it for a short amount of time and i again like to get you through menopause great but like i said my family lives till their 80s and early 90s and you know short of a bus hitting me and taking me out i plan to keep both my bones and brains um and so yeah. I don't plan on stopping. I'm not on hormones at the, at the moment. I'm not hormones. I'm not menopausal. Um, but when I get there and until I, you will have to pry it out of my hands. <laughs> Listen, I'm there. I like I'm my not, faculties. Thank you. Yeah. I am not letting them go. I'm like, yeah, well, you'll have to do a lot of work to convince me. And you know, it's interesting because I think that the, the, the comment we get very often, well, it's not natural. And my point is, A, it's natural because they're hormones, they're bioidentical. Mm-hmm. But my other point is what what are, what we've talked about over and over again, our target of looking good and feeling great and performing, overperforming and, and yeah. 
all the things that our expectations of how we're going to live our 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s have changed. And so we're changing we're changing our wants. And therefore, you're right, it's probably not natural to have hormones in your body at that level in that at those ages. But if your expectation is that you're going to look and feel and perform a certain way, right now, that's what we've got. The pushback that I get is menopause is natural. Why am I messing with it? And I always say, hey, heart disease, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of humans. It's the number one. It's natural. And, and I know for a fact that that loss of estradiol can contribute to that. Yeah, absolutely. I am going to live a very long time and I want people to thrive. I'm not afraid of aging. I would prefer to do it gracefully. I would like to keep my wits about me. I would like to have strong bones. I would like to be able to walk unassisted. I would like to be able to travel and dance and enjoy life and have a good time well into whatever decade my genetics take me. Yeah. So to do that, I'm okay with hormones. That's mm-hmm. I'm okay. I I don't want to have compromised anything. And I'm not putting myself at a hormonal range of somebody in their teens and twenties. Right. I'm just trying to maintain a menopausal range that will protect my bones. <laughs> you know, and prevent my vagina drying up, drying up and hot flashes and night sweats and keep my brain from completely giving out. I'm just trying to get to that level. I am not trying to push myself back into my youth. Yeah, 100%. And then there's all the other things I think that we have to do at the same time, right? The lifting heavy weights, the we're back to nutrition. I mean, it's boring, yawn, but guess what? (laughs) Um, That nutritional piece, the managing the chronic stress, the sleep, and which by the way, you can't sleep if you don't have the hormones. So you kind of got to get the hormones so you can sleep. It's mm-hmm. it's a chicken or the egg thing. So what starts to get really important now? We kind of talked about, so late thirties into forties, forties is definitely premenopause. Like you're for most women, mm-hmm. I've met a couple who still, still had a cycle in their early fifties, which is mm-hmm. kind of draw dropping yeah. at this, yeah. at this stage of the game. Yeah. Um, but now what's your good advice for now women who are who've made it through the 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 second storm if you will of menopause <laughs> right yes. hopefully they had a good physician by their sides and helped them to navigate it and and get through it kind of in decent shape on a from a longevity health span 60s 70s and beyond what's your best advice for women where um it's enjoy it it's enjoy it. And I say this because I find a lot of my patients as they got older, they lost joy. The ones who were the sickest or had the hardest time or dealt were in my office a lot had stopped or given up uh, enjoying life. Mm. Hobbies, friends and family, getting out, finding things that truly, you know, made them laugh things that just really made them happy deep inside. And so I'm like, look, you don't deal with periods anymore. Yes, you have to deal with aging stuff. You've got to get a colonoscopy. At some point you should get a mammogram, right? You just got to keep up on your blood work still. Make sure you're on the right, if you're on hormones, make sure you're on the right kind of hormones. You still have to manage weightlifting. Got to, got to keep your muscle up, your nutrition, stress management. You still have to do all those things. But 
you're on the other side of it. And so make sure you don't lose your joy Mm. because you're going to probably live a few more decades. And again, I want everyone to thrive. I want to thrive. So I want you to thrive and to remember to get back to that. I love that. That's such good advice. Find Keep your joy. Keep your joy. And there's so much literature on um, relationships, joyful relationships and longevity. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, the network. Mm-hmm. Friendship. Friendship mm-hmm. network. As a matter of fact, even in, um, you know, we've talked about cancer a couple of times. There's a, there was a book called Radical Remissions. Yes. If you ever yeah. saw that. And yeah. at the beginning yeah. of the book, she talks about what are the 10 things that united all of these people that and radical for those of you who haven't read the book it was a i think she was a phd student or something and she was in a doctor's office and she kept coming across these files that said radical remission and they were basically people who'd had cancer and nobody could explain why they'd beat all the odds and come out the other side um and one of the things that really struck me was that for every one of these people, the thing that they had was what community support, whether it was friends or family, they got rid of, they got out of toxic jobs, they got out of toxic relationships, but that, that friendship and that, that community support, wherever you get it, it could be your church. It could be, you know, it could be a volunteer, whatever neighbors. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, That was one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle for, or it was one very important piece of the puzzle. I don't know if it was the biggest, but yeah, I hear that over and over. And, and that, that being connected with the, with that community and feeling that joy, you know, that pushes us into the rest and digest repair and heal part of us, the parasympathetic. And we need all the rest, digest, heal and repair. Cause we're kind of banged up once we get into our, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, like, you know, our buckets are getting are, are kind of full and um, we need as much help as we can get to repair. We don't repair like we did in our 20s. We don't heal like we did in our 20s. And so if that, if finding, finding joy, being in your community, happiness, doing your hobbies is a big part of what it takes, then I'll write your prescription for that. Go for it. Yeah. No, I, you know, finding joy, is the uh i love that if that's yeah. the only i have a sign people. up you can't see it in the camera but uh it says healing happens at joy and uh i i just love that oh yeah well and you know it's funny carrie i think a lot of that comes through in a lot of the work that you do because you deliver a lot of information and guys if you're not following dr carrie jones on instagram <laughs> you are denying yourself not only a ton of information but delivered in a way that will bring a smile to your face sometimes it'll make you weep with laughter <laughs> but but no but when you can marry those things together right and you can mm-hmm. live in in joy it's the whole world feels better mhm Right. The unachievable seems to be, you know, I can probably figure that out kind of thing. So anyway, I um, I could like I said this at the beginning and I'm going to say it again. I could talk to you for a really long time. Um, I know we kind of need to wrap this up because you've got other things to do and places to go and people to entertain (laughs) and educate. So, Dr. Carey, why don't you tell people where they can find you and learn more um, about all of the amazing stuff that you do? So speaking of Instagram, I'm at dr.carryjones and you can find me on my website, 
www.drcarriejones.com. And I, for those of you who have dipped their toe into TikTok, I have dipped my toe into TikTok, although it's a scary world. So I tend to stick with Instagram. <laughs> I'll bet you're a great TikToker though. <laughs> I need to remember to save the videos that I make for Instagram. Um, for some reason, that feature got taken away from me on Instagram. So I need to save it at a time so I can upload it to both. I know. I know. I'll get there. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, Dr. Carrie Jones, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. And I look forward to doing this again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application, just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.